Hey family, Kevin Wallace here from Redemption to the Nations Church. We've got a message for you today that I believe God gave me to bring strength and hope and joy to your journey. I want you to get your heart open. I want you to get ready to receive this word. I don't believe your life's ever gonna be the same again. God's getting ready to take you to a new level. I'll see you at the end of this message and we'll pray together. God bless, enjoy this word. While you're standing, take your Bible, please open it to the book of Colossians, the second chapter. And we're going to read the Bible today. How many know the Bible is true? It's not only true, how many know it's truth? Yes, Colossians chapter 2, verse number 9. And today I'm going to preach a message called Come Alive. Look at somebody next to you and say, Neighbor, in the name of Jesus, come alive. Verse 9, for in Jesus dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In Jesus, you are also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Look at verse 12. Being buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and in the circumcision of your flesh. He has made alive together with him, having forgiven you. How many know this is a reason to get happy on Resurrection Sunday? He forgave you all your trespasses. Verse 14, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements, one translation said ordinances, that were against us which were contrary to us. He took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. And it would be good if it stopped there, but the next verse is a reason to get very happy in this house. He disarmed principalities and powers and he made a public spectacle of them. Jesus, I thank you. Triumphing over them in it and I would like to inform you that the antecedent of the pronoun it is going back to the cross it means that Jesus triumphed over the enemy in the cross and today I want to preach a message for a few moments called come alive one more time look at your neighbor and tell him come alive father thank you for the grace to preach and the anointing here to make it receivable. I pray that the anointing would break the yoke and the word would go forth in power. Set people free. Heal people in their physical body. Touch them in the realm of their thinking and their mind. Loose them from lies and bring them into the light. And I serve notice on principalities and powers that there is one greater than you in this room. And his name and in his power we come today and we declare freedom for the captive and deliverance for the bound, salvation for the lost, healing for the sick, and restoration for those who have been deceived and broke down in life. Touch today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of God. Today, today is a day that the church gathers to celebrate life on every continent, in every culture. It doesn't matter the style of music or the liturgy in which we gather or the freedom or the expression at all. What, what, what is real and what is true about today is that this is a day we gather to celebrate life. Death did not win. Life won because of Jesus. I thought about that word life. Everybody say life. And the word life in the Greek, I've taught this before, is the word zoe, Z-O-E. And we get that idea of um, living things. When we think of zoe, it is this 
animated, life-giving movement. There's something going on. It's where we get our word zoo from. Last week, as Pastor Richie was talking this morning, he reminded us last Sunday night we gathered at the zoo. We thought to ourselves, we might have 1,500 people. If we're really lucky, we'll have 2,000 people. At 545, I crossed the hill coming down Macaulay, and there was cars everywhere and people parking on train tracks and dragging kids by the ear. And kids were screaming and already fighting before they got to the Easter egg hunt. And it was unbelievable. I said, what is going on? They said, Pastor, half the city of Chattanooga has come. They had to shut the zoo down. And then I finally get to the front of the zoo and, they, and I get in my parking spot and I go in and there was a zoo in the zoo. Now, we had advertised the way we thought was appropriate. What we did know is that a number of news agencies found out we were having an egg hunt and we were giving away stuff and we were paying for everybody who come to the zoo. We, were, we rented the zoo, literally, we rented the zoo out. And so they told the whole city. And 5,700 people showed up. And it was a zoo, come on, give God praise. It was a zoo in a zoo. I saw people fighting over eggs. I saw people screaming at one another. I saw a man get slapped. I saw kids get, I mean, it was unbelievable. Everywhere you turned, there was all this activity and life. It was a zoo. And then I went and looked at animals. And Genesis, I've never been to the zoo with Genesis, so I wanted to see how she responded to the camels and all the living things in the zoo. So she was, she was taking it all in and petting goats and petting lambs and uh, getting screamed at by llamas. It was unbelievable. And then I went over and the other kids were playing with the red pandas and me and Eli, we went over and saw the coyote and the coyote come out and let out a roar. And Eli said, roar. And he yelled back. It was a zoo. It was life. Everywhere you went, there was life. Something was walking, living, moving, doing something. I believe the church and the kingdom of God ought to be a living thing. There ought to be some movement going on. There ought to be some noise being made. There ought to be some sounds coming out of the house of God. There ought to be some reflection of what he's done internally. Come on, if you're full of joy, notify your face. If you're happy, tell yourself, I'm in the kingdom of God. Maybe I don't have everything like I wanted it. Maybe everything ain't happening like I thought it would. But I'm saved at the end of the day. I found him and he found me. And I'll never be the same again. Anybody glad you're part of the kingdom of life? There's life. There's joy. Sometimes there's crazy stuff that happens in a church where the kingdom of God is moving. If church is boring and dead, you've done it wrong. If church is boring and dead, you've done it wrong. If your idea of church is coming and listening to somebody sing for you, you're doing it wrong. These people don't do your praising for you. They don't do your worshiping for you. They can't tell it like you tell it, what God has done for you. We all ought to reflect the life we've been given from God. And the word for life in the Greek is zoe. It's where we get our word zoo from. But this passage of scripture here in Colossians chapter 2 says, he made us alive, verse 13. He made us alive. And that word, uh, that, that phrase, made alive, he made us alive, is, watch this, suzu apoeo. And it has that root word, zoe, in the middle of it. Give me just a minute to freak you out with a little bit of Greek, but I think it's important. It's the combination of three words, suzu apoeo. It's su, S-Y-N, which is a pronoun meaning made one or together. It's the Greek word, the verb poeo, meaning to make, and then it's that word zoe or life. And literally what that word suzuapoeo means is that he made us one with the life of God. You who are in Christ, he literally brought to life by fusing your dead life with his living life. Born again people have the life of God on the inside of them. Saved people, I'm not talking about people who just go to church. I thank God that saved people go to church. But sometimes people go to church just to relieve their religious conscience. 
I'm telling you today, there is more to God than just going to church once every three or four months and getting your little dabble do me. No, there is something going on in the kingdom of God that is much deeper and it literally replaced the death that used to define me and now God has given me life and it overflows. Jesus said, I came that you might have life. Come on, talk to me, church. That you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Jesus is not into you just barely getting by. He wants you to feast on him in such a way that it replaces the death and the heaviness and the depression of this experience that we call life until you overflow and ooze with eternal life. I can, can I tell you, I'm not waiting to get to heaven till I taste life. This is the greatest thing that religion will tell you. Well, one day when I die, I'm going to finally get to find joy. That is not what your Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that right here in the nasty now, you can have joy. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. There is life in Christ. He made us alive. I want you to understand today that the Bible is full of records of God making dead things come alive. Do you understand that it was not just the tomb of Jesus where God revealed his power to bring dead things back to life? Even in the Old Testament, God was bringing dead things back to life. Talk to me, Ezekiel, who gets dropped off. How would you like this prophetic assignment? God drops him off in a valley full of dry bones. And then he asks him a question in the second verse. Can these bones live? And like any good prophet, he responded and put it back on God. Oh, God, you know if they can live. And God said, prophesy to the wind. Prophesy to the wind and command the wind to come and breathe upon these things that were slain. Listen, y'all, it wasn't just a dead body. It was a decomposed body, and the only thing left was bones. How many know if the only thing left is bones, it's for real dead? God puts a prophet in a valley and surrounds him with real dead bones. And the Lord says to the prophet, can these bones live? Oh God, only you know. Watch this. And he began to prophesy to the wind. Ezekiel said to the wind, blow, wind, blow. And it came from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Suddenly there was a noise in the valley and bone got connected to bone. And then sinew or muscle came on the bone and then skin came on the muscle. And now all of a sudden what was dead and disconnected has come back together. And it has, it has muscle and it has bone and it has skin. But the problem is it doesn't have breath. I want to preach right here because you can have a church that has bone. You can have a church that has muscle. You can have a church that has skin. All of those represent something. I feel like preaching right here. Bone represents structure. Muscle represents ministry. And skin represents covering. But if you don't have breath in it, it's just a body and it's still dead. Ah, uh, but when the wind started blowing, the wind came on that dead body. Watch this. And the Bible said that that dead body got up and became a great army the world sees dry bones God sees an army and this is what he said in the 12th and 13th verse when I bring it up out of its grave then you will know that I am the Lord in verse 2 he did not know if dead bones can live but God said when I raise it up then you will know there's something about resurrection that takes the doubt out of the room I have, I have been in the room when a dead person was raised back to life. Nobody doubts when a dead thing comes back to life if God is real. Yeah. Well, you're sitting out there today, I know you say, well, you know, I know. I know this is one of them churches believing in miracles and I just hadn't seen one, so I don't know if it's real. You stick around. You stick around. I've seen cancer disappear. I've seen blinded eyes restored. Don't you tell me he can't do it. Don't you tell me he can't do it. I'm telling you right now, I've seen hospitals turn into praise parties when the doctor walked in and they were given up to die. And the per person come in and said, well, we don't understand this. In the last test we took, there was a cancer there and it was going to kill you. And in the test we just took, we can't find the cancer and we can't find where it ever existed. So don't you tell me he can't do it. 
God's got a reputation of bringing dead things back to life. And I want you to understand something today. We need that supernatural resurrection life because everyone in this building without reservation, I can say this, everyone in this building was dead. Dead. Everybody say dead. Dead because not that you died on the outside, but you died on the inside. The greatest, the greatest misunderstanding that I think people have in life is that just because you have a pulse, you're living. You ready for this? When Adam sinned, he died. The problem was he kept on living. In the natural, he didn't kill over and die. But in the spirit, he lost everything God had got given him in the garden. You can actually have a pulse but not have the victory. You can actually be breathing but be a dead man or woman walking. Death is not about if I'm living in the flesh. This flesh is going to die. Death and life are what are happening on the inside in an unseen realm in you. And many people are dead on the inside. I want to tell you this. I don't want you to go tell nobody because they'll put this on the front page of the newspaper. We don't need that kind of publicity. You ready for this? Don't tell nobody this. You ready for this? The preacher preaching to you today was dead. I used to be dead. On the inside, I was dead. On the inside, you were dead. We were dead. Full of sin, dead, dead, dead. Roadkill dead. We preach the gospel and we preach Christ and we pray and we praise and we give and we invest our whole life into this. Why? Because people are not just messed up a little. People are dead and on their way to hell. There are churches that are arguing over the color of the walls, the color of the carpet, and whether they're going to sing out of a songbook or off the wall. They're arguing over what kind of decor to put in the lobby. Zoom on in here and hear this real quick. We will not be caught up in such futile arguments, arguing over such nonsense when men's souls are bound and men and women are going to hell. They are dying in their sin. There is no rescue for them other than Jesus. God, let the church be a people who do not preach death. May we be people who advertise the life of God. We need life in this generation. We don't need religion. Religion has killed more people than drugs and alcohol. Religion is it's killing people. They don't need religion. They need Jesus. He's the only one that can bring dead things back to life. Paul talks about it here. Paul tells us three things that Christ did for us that brought us out of a place of death and made us alive again. You ready for this? I'm going to give you three and I'm going to get out of your way. Number one, he created space for us. Say that. Say he created space. Say this personally. Say he created a space for me. I'm getting ready to blow your mind. But we have so inadequately taught the crucifixion that people have missed that when Jesus died on the cross, he saved space for you to die with him. Mm -hmm, I got four amens, two hmm, and a bunch of whacked out looking faces. People are like, what's he talking about? Grab your stuff, Gertrude, we're getting up out of here. But I like it when the Bible says what it says, and I just have to preach the Bible, although some of you don't know what the Bible says. Romans 6, 6, please put it up on the screen so the people of God know I'm not crazy. Look at your neighbor, tell them, neighbor, God made space for me. <laughs> Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Jesus. When he was dying on the cross, he saved a spot on the cross for the old man called Kevin. He literally saved the place for my old man to die there with him. 
This is why we got people in the church who are vacillating between who they used to be and who they're going to be, who they're supposed to be, and who they thought they were going to be. There's this war going on. It's because we need to tell people that the old you climbed up on the cross with him and when he was nailed to a cross, he saved the space for you to die with him so that the old you who keeps trying to screw up the right now you can be reminded that you were nailed to a cross when Jesus was nailed to a cross. That part of you that wants to sin, that part of you that wants to live crazy, that part of you that wants to ruin your life, that part of you that is selfish and arrogant and proud and doesn't want God and ruins everything God has for your future, that old you was nailed to Calvary. And that's why Paul said, reckon yourself dead. <laughs> How many ever get tempted? Come on, don't lie. How many ever get tempted and the devil comes and he knocks on your heart and says, don't you want to go do that again? Don't you want to go get into that one more time? Don't you want to see her again? Don't you want to see him again? Let me walk around. Since this is Easter and I've done ticked half of you off and most of you decided you're not coming back, let me get you while I got you. I want to tell you right now, that old thing that rises up in you, that wants to ruin you and wreck your life, that old man, the next time the devil comes and tries to raise that thing up in you and make you think you want to go back to it, you tell the devil, when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary, he nailed that old man to the cross. That old me, this is a new me. It's the best version of me you ever met in your life. Some of y'all better be glad that you don't have to deal with the old man. Some of, some of us are glad we don't have to deal with the old you. When the enemy comes and tries to tell you what you're going to do, tell the devil you are a liar. God killed the old me. Tell somebody, tell them he made space for me. But not only did he make a space for me on the cross, I want to tell you this. He made room for me in the tomb. When they took him down off the cross, Joseph of Arimathea wrapped his body with the ladies did, and, and they put him in grave clothes, and they carried him to the borrowed tomb of Joseph. I've been to Israel. I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to the tomb where they think they laid him. I want to tell you, there was enough place and space for my old man in that borrowed tomb. Yes, there was. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? When Jesus was buried, he buried my old man in the tomb. I feel like teaching right here. He, he made enough space for me in his plan to not only kill the old me, but they wrapped my old man up and they put my old man in the tomb and wherever they laid Jesus, there was enough room laying right beside him for the old Kevin. I feel like getting happy today. That's why I have a future because the old man is buried and the old man is dead. And when the devil comes up trying to remind me of my past. I take him back farther than he wants to go. I take him all the way back to a hillside and I remind the devil Jesus died and I died with him. He was buried and I was buried right beside him. I would be sad if the only place he made room for me was on the cross. I would be heavy if the only place he made room for me was in the tomb. But I want to tell you, not only did he make space for me to die with him, not only did he make space for me to be buried with him, I've been to the tomb. I don't know the measurement of the width of the entrance and the exit of the tomb, but I know this, it was wide enough that when Jesus walked out of the tomb, I walked out right beside him. I walked out right beside him. I walked out victorious over the old me. I wish I had some help in this church. I walked out victorious over who I used to be. I may not be what I'm going to be, but I'm praising him this morning that I'm not what I used to be. The old me is dead. Somebody take a 10-second praise break in the church.
he made a space for me hey I said he made a space for me and that's not the last place he made a space for me the Bible said he looked at the disciples in John chapter 14 he said I'm going to prepare a place for you and when I come again I'm gonna take you back and I'm gonna show you the place I made for you look at your neighbor tell your neighbor on Easter Sunday there is a place for you in heaven he made a place I'm a little bit excited here because he made a place for me I was crucified with him I was buried with him I was raised with him and one day I'm gonna live with him forever Woo! and ever and ever while the ages roll while the devil falls into the bottomless pit and hollers about it. I'm gonna be around the throne. Oh, I'm gonna fall down and cast my feet. I'm preaching right here. I'm gonna cast my crown at the feet of the Lord. I'm not gonna get caught up in political talk. I'm gonna say worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the one who made a place for me. Somebody shout yes. He created a space for me. The second thing Paul tells us is here in the 13th verse. Not only did he create a place, he canceled the debt. Let me read it to you. Having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of ordinances or requirements that was against us, which were contrary to us, he took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. Now, the best way for me to preach this point about him canceling debt is to illustrate what would happen in the life of a criminal who, uh, who was caught and convicted for a crime in the, Roman, in the Roman government. So when the criminal was tried and they found him guilty, they would take his crime and they would take what he had been found guilty of and they would nail it to the door of his prison cell. Let me see here. Well, whatever. So they found a drug addict The one living in that cell, convicted of drugs. His sentence was, you gotta pay this kind of penalty. Now, if, like you and I, if it was a minor crime, then we paid the penalties to society in the form of money repayment, and we call that a fine. Not like my wife or your girlfriend or wife, fine, no, 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 fine like, Trying to help you, brothers. Y'all could have said amen and got some real points. Instead, you looked at me like I was crazy, and you are the one that will suffer later. Trust me. Drugs. We found him guilty of drug addiction. So that's his crime. And now, if it was a heavy crime, it wasn't that they paid for their penalty in money. They paid society back by spending time in a prison. And whatever the crime was, y'all don't want me to get into these things. Oh, covetousness. We don't talk about that in the church. We talk about homosexuals. We talk about drug addiction. We don't preach about wanting somebody else's stuff. Thank you. Yeah, let me go through here until I find one that fits you. Oh, 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 oh. Gossip? Oh, oh. We don't want abortion in America. I don't want abortion either, but I want gossip out of the church. I'm going to go. I'm going to keep on going. Oh, yeah, we don't talk about this one. Lies? I'm meddling now on Easter Sunday. The preacher's meddling. Lies. 
Oh, here's one. Here's one. Pornography. What were you guilty of? Was it alcoholism? What were you guilty of? Oh, pride. Imagine Christians condemning the world for their sin when there are more Christians coming to church with an arrogant, pompous attitude every Sunday. And if it rained in the house of God, some of y'all would drown. Pride, pride, oh, here we go, jealousy. Ooh, felt that come through that cold breeze. Because Christians will criticize other Christians for what they have. And it really isn't that you are religious and holy and, uh, and, and you are bringing their sin of having stuff to life. You just don't like other people having something you can't have. I better quit on that because I might make some real enemies here. All these sins, all these sins, and all these trespasses, and every one of them was nailed to your prison cell. And when we passed by your prison cell, everything you and I did in violation of God's holy law was there for the world to see. And not only was our sin there, but our sentence was there. Because I want to teach you something right now. God is just and God is loving, and the two are not mutually exclusive. God can be 100% just and 100% love simultaneously. How can you be 100% just and 100% love? You are 100% just in that you are a holy father. You are a holy God, and you do not turn away from sin. You cannot ignore it because your system of justice requires that sin be met with death for the wages of my sin and the wages of your sin is death. The wages, the working out, the payment made for the sin we commit is not just mm, feeling bad about yourself. James could not be more clear than the book of James chapter 1, verse 15 and 16. Sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So a prisoner convicted of a crime, they would put what he did over his door of his cell, and then they would put the sentence that's matched the crime. And the sentence for sin is death. But in the Roman, Paul knew what he was doing when he preached this thing. He was setting up his audience because he wanted to get a point across. In the Roman prison system, when a person had successfully met the requirement and the penalty for their crime committed, they would write to Telestai, and they would put that word, that piece of paper over the crime, and to Telestai means paid in full, meaning that the prisoner who had been found guilty had stayed long enough and paid a price high enough so that the sin and the crime committed could now be absolved and they could move on with their life. And if they saw them walking through the street of the city and knew they had been a prisoner, they would oftentimes examine to see if they had their card of freedom, so to speak, and they would show them that the, that the legal document that articulated their crime showed also that they had fulfilled their sentence. And you would see this word written across the top of their uh, legal document, and it would say, meaning they are free they have paid their price. And on Calvary, at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon, as he was hanging between heaven and earth, the Bible said that he looked up to God and said, it is finished. Can I tell you what it is finished is in the Greek? To tell us time. To tell us time. I paid for it. Y'all missing what I'm saying? We've been preaching that Jesus said it is finished because he was talking about his victory over the enemy. Oh, that's true. But it was greater than just him defeating the devil. He was telling you from the cross that thing that was hanging on your doorpost, that sin that was on your account, 
that thing you did in your past, everything the devil's been harassing you over, everything the devil's been accusing you of, everything the devil tried to tell you you did, to tell us time. I paid for it. It's already been paid in full. You don't have to cry about it. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be condemned over it. Where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. God is a God who will forgive you. Slap three people, tell them it's finished. The bill has been paid in full. The debt has been satisfied. Somebody give him praise. Well, praise God to tell us that. To tell, I'm not what I'm going to be, but I am not who I used to be. Jesus paid it all. I wish I didn't have allergy problems this morning because I feel like singing. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it. Yeah, he washed it. Somebody give God praise that he washed it. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing. Stop somebody, tell them nothing but the blood. Give him a 15-second praise all over the room. Yes! Yes! As far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removed my sin from my life. Oh, glory. Sit down. Sit down here. Bunch of Pentecostals. Ooh, oh Lord. I'm going to be through with this point here. So the first thing he did to give me life is he created space for me in his redemptive plan. The second thing he did, he canceled my debt. And the last thing he did is he conquered my enemy. Okay, let me preach it like this. He conquered your enemy. I've been telling you this for a couple of weeks. I hope you get it on Easter. God and the devil are not fighting it out to see who wins. He already won. See, JoJo tried to tell y'all today, you've already won. You've already won. You've, how many know he's already won? This is a revelation to the church today in our generation. God is not going to win. He has already won. I'm going to give you Bible and then I'll be done so you can go eat your honey made ham. Look at verse 14 here. Pardon me, 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in the cross. The defeat of your enemy is threefold. Number one, Paul says, he disarmed principalities and powers. Can I tell you this? For thousands of years after Adam sinned, principalities and powers were armed. They had weapons. They were locked and loaded, and they kept humanity bound. Demons and darkness kept humanity bound for thousands of years after Adam sinned. And when Jesus come along, he disarmed those devils. The word literally in the Greek is he stripped them down. 
In fact, let me teach this right here. When, when the Bible says, when the Bible says that he disarmed them, this is a Greek word in Roman times when a conquered enemy of the state was drugged before a parade of people to the feet of the general that defeated him. The conquered general was then stripped naked, mocked and jeered by the crowd, and then commanded to sign over everything he owned, even his own life, to serve the general who conquered him. Sometimes even the thumb of the defeated general was cut off so that he could never swing a sword again. When the Bible said that Jesus disarmed the enemy, he did not kill the devil, but he robbed him of his power. Ooh. He cut his thumb off so that he could not swing a sword of accusation and condemnation against you again. Somebody said, if he's disarmed, why do I find myself fighting? What am I fighting against? Why does my family go through problems? Why do I go through struggles? Why is my mind bombarded with thoughts of hopelessness and despair? And I feel like I've done too much and that God doesn't let me. I'll tell you why. If I was a devil and my thumb had been cut off, and I could not swing a sword again. The greatest weapon I had against you is to make you think. To make you think I could ruin your life. To make me make you think I could ruin your relationship with God. If I didn't have the ability to cut you and kill you, I'd make you think you didn't have any future. But I came to remind you that in John chapter 8 verse 44, the devil is a liar and the father of every lie. Some of you need to be informed that the devil harassing you doesn't have a sword anymore. He doesn't have a weapon to kill you with. The only thing he has is a hope that you will believe the lie. Some of you are believing the lie. The lie that you don't have a future. The lie that God don't love you no more. The lie that God doesn't have a purpose for you. Some of you are believing a lie that your marriage is too far gone and your kids are too screwed up and your finances are in such bad shape. I came today to remind you the devil is a liar and the father of every lie. If he's talking, he's lying. He cut the thumb off. You are dealing with a disarmed enemy. Stop falling down every time he pulls the trigger on a gun that don't have any bullets. He disarmed them. The second thing he did is he disgraced the enemy. Oh, Lord, this is going to bless my soul right here. He literally drug the devil and every demon through the public square of eternity. It made the front page of Eternity Times a big picture of a defeated devil. The liar has been caught. Lucifer has been defeated. The dragon has been beat. Oh, hallelujah. You say, Pastor, well, I don't see this in the natural. Where did this happen? That's the problem. Some people keep looking at a man hanging on a cross and they see defeat. But you got to see that the Bible says, look at this, the third part of this defeat of the enemy is that he actually, he actually defeated everything about the devil on the cross. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It does not say that Jesus triumphed over the enemy when he healed the blind. I'm going to teach this. It does not say that Jesus triumphed over the enemy when he raised Lazarus from the dead. It does not say that Jesus triumphed over the enemy when he made lame legs walk. While he was hanging on a cross, in the cross, he was triumphing. While he was dying, he was defeating the devil. While he was crying, he was being crowned king of kings and lord of lords. While he was bleeding, 
he was winning the battle. While he was waning and wasting away, he was winning the fight. Satan saw the cross as his moment of victory. And he is so blind that he did not understand the bleeding Savior hanging on the cross was his defeat. Now you say, Pastor, I thought the tomb is where Jesus won the victory. Oh, the cross is where he won the victory. The tomb is where he said, I told you. I better quit it because some of y'all don't know how to take me when I get in the spirit, but I'm about to dance across the front of this church and butt my neck and snap my head and give God praise because the tomb is where God said, I told you. Yeah, the cross is where the devil said, I'll kill him. But the tomb is where God said, I told you. Remember, I told you that they'll tear this temple down. But in three days, in three days, I'll raise it back up again. I feel like telling somebody, God told you what he was going to do for you. God told you how he was going to bring your family through. The devil wants you to get heavy and depressed about the pain of Friday. But Sunday's on the way and God is about to tell you, I told you. Slap somebody, tell him he told you. He told you. He told you. The cross, stand with me, I'm through preaching. The cross is where he told the thief, today, you are going to be with me in paradise. That was on the cross, but the tomb is where he told the, the thief, I told you. <laughs> when they put Jesus in that tomb, do you understand, Samuel? He did not go to sleep. He went on a mission and he walked down through the corridors of the earth into Abraham's bosom. It's called paradise. It's the place where he told the thief dying beside him, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief died and they put him somewhere in a tomb and his soul went down to the same place where David and every Old Testament patriarch, Jacob, Isaac, Rahab, all of them, in the bosom of Abraham after they died, in the waiting cell of, of the soul. They were there and just hide, they were waiting for somebody to come. And they had faith in the plan of God. Even though Jesus had not been born yet, every one of those Old Testament patriarchs put faith in God. And because they put faith in God, God said, I'm going to let you stay in paradise until the lamb comes. And when the lamb comes, the one one that died to set Kevin and Josh and Chris and everybody in this room and everybody in the future, that lamb came and died to set everybody on this side of Calvary free and give us eternal life. But the lamb who died not only reached forward, he had the power to reach in the past. And every Old Testament saint that was in paradise was waiting on somebody to pay the price. Can you imagine being Abraham? Can you imagine being David? Can you imagine being Rahab in paradise? All them Old Testament saints, and they've been waiting. Souls in paradise waiting. And all of a sudden, here comes the newest member of paradise. Who is he? He is a common thief. And he comes walking into paradise. And they make room for this thief. All of a sudden, somewhere later on that evening, a light starts shining through the door of paradise. A sound is heard through the corridors of paradise. And it, David picks up a harp and begins to sing, who is this king? Of glory. Somebody's coming. Lift up your head, O oh, your gates, and be ye lifted up, your everlasting doors. And the king of glory is coming in. Who is this king of glory? And the thief said, I know. 
I died beside him today on a hillside called Calvary. And he told me before I took my last breath, he would meet me in this place called paradise. And David said, who is this king of glory? And the whole choir lined up and said, the Lord God, strong and mighty, the Lord God mighty in battle. And he, and he came with the keys and he put the key in the, in the hole of the prison door and he took the captives in paradise. I'm in Ephesians chapter four. He led captivity captive. Have you ever thought about that phrase? He led captivity captive. He took people who were captive by the enemy and he made them his own captives. I want to tell you this right now. I am a lovesick prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm his captive. He took me. Don't mess with me. Don't bother me. Don't try to take me out. I'm bound to him for life, and I'll never find another like him. I want to serve him. How many want to serve him all the days of your life? He disarmed, disgraced, and utterly defeated your enemy. That's why Paul would say in the book of Romans, the seventh chapter, who shall lay a charge against you? It is Christ who has died, yea, rather, that has risen. Nobody from your past can come up to you in your now and present something from your past so bad that it would keep you from your future. There is no condemnation. That's a legal term. No one can say you don't deserve heaven. No one can say you don't deserve God. No one can say you're disqualified because the one who could have disqualified me threw a stone down and nailed himself to a cross so that he could pay for my sins and yours. Can we thank him for that before we do anything else? Just lift up some hands. Just lift up some hands. Come on. Can we just lift up our hands and thank him for all that he did for us, the price he paid? And so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. <laughs> Until my trophies at last I lay down And I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross the emblem of suffering and shame Anybody love that cross this morning? And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Thank you, Jesus. Can we just praise him and sing that chorus? So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Anybody thankful for Calvary today? Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it someday for a crown. 
Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and we're leaving in just a moment. But I just feel like this morning there are people in this place who need to come to life. You need to come alive. You're breathing on the outside, but on the inside you know that there's some things that are out of order. There's some places that are messed up and some places where you feel dead. Maybe you've known Jesus. Maybe you've never known him. Maybe you have been to church, but you've never made him Lord of your life. Maybe you're empty on the inside. Maybe you've been saved and on fire, but today you're a, you feel a million miles away from God. And something about your life needs to come back to life. You need to come alive. If I can be honest with you, I'll tell you where I got this little thought for this message. Anybody ever seen that movie, The Greatest Showman? Come on, don't lie. Go to, you know, you don't, don't lie about it. If you ever saw it, you know it. There's a song on there that says, come alive. You stumble through your day. Got your head hung low. The sky's a shade of gray. Like a zombie in a grave. You're asleep. I don't know the rest of it, but that part messed me up. There are people walking through life like a zombie in a maze. And they need to come to life. There's some people sitting in church that need to come to life. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If I'm talking to you in today, you need to come to life. You need to come to life. You want Christ to make you alive today. You want to be married and bound and in union with Christ to the extent that your life is swallowed up by his life. That your death was overcome by his life. And you want that life on the inside. I'm counting to three for you, no matter what you've done and how many times you've done it. No matter what you've done and how far away from God you feel. No matter how recent it was, if it was this morning before church, last night before you laid your head down on the pillow. If you're in this room and you want to come to life, I'm going to pray for you, but you got to say yes to Christ. We can pray for you all day long, but only Christ can make you alive. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If I'm talking to you, and you need Jesus in your heart. If I'm talking to you and you want life in your soul, if you want your family to come to life and your kids to come to life and your own personal heart to come to life, if you're tired of living in a, in a kingdom of darkness and death and you want to be transferred to the kingdom of light and life, when I say three, lift that hand. Let me pray for you. One, two, three, right now. Yes, God bless you. Hands are up all over this house. I see at least 10 hands right now. I see more than that happening right now. I see people throwing hands up still. Glory to God in heaven. I praise you for what's getting ready to happen in this building. I thank you for the transfer of membership that's getting ready to happen. Somebody's leaving the kingdom of darkness today. Yes, and somebody's coming into life today. Here's what I want you to do. There's a lot of people in here. The packed house this morning, we give God praise for that. I don't want anybody to be intimidated by the size of the crowd. People have already come. I've already confessed to you I was dead. He made me alive. I had to repent of my sins just like everybody in this room. Preachers ain't perfect people. We need Jesus. Amen, somebody. I want you to pray today, and I want you to say yes to Christ. Here's how I want to do this. I want you to look at the person on your left and right in just a moment. I don't care if you've known them your whole life or you've never met them before this Easter Sunday service. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask people near you, do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? And if you lifted your hand, or you should have, when they say yes, when they ask you that question, you say yes, I need somebody to go pray. I'm going to stand right here. And I'm going to meet everybody who comes to pray. And these family members and leaders in our church are going to personally pray with you. And you are going to leave this building today alive. You are going to leave this building today alive. Ready? Ready? Here we go. Ask your neighbor, both sides, do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? If you lifted your hand, get out of your seat and come stand with me right now. Come stand with me right now. If you lifted your hand, come on, big brother. God bless you. Come on, come on, come on. Come on, they're coming from all over. They're coming from all over. Come on. Come on, family. They're coming from all over the building. Come on back there. Come on. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Come on, they're still coming. They're still coming. Cameron, I love you. So good to see you. 
So good to see you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Come stand right here. Come on, stretch your hand. There's still people coming. I need you to give God praise like you're thankful for it all over this place. Come on. Stretch your hands toward this altar. Altar is full of people giving their heart to Jesus today. At the cross, at the cross, where we first saw the light. Come on, family. The burden of my heart rolled away. Yes, it did. Give me some sisters right down here on the end. Case, come help me pray. There are people who need prayer. Come on. At the cross, everybody sing. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. And the burden of my heart rolled away. Come alive. Come alive. I receive my sight. One more time, let's thank him for it. Sing the song at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light. Jesus singing oh, God. Come on, family, sing that song. to continue praying I want to let you know we exceeded our $200,000 offering thank you Father help me give God praise come on thank you Jesus people are still coming you come right on family I want you to receive this blessing everyone lift your hands in a receiving position if you don't mind I want to bless your family Everyone lift your hands in a receiving position, just like this. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray for our church families today, God, all the people connected to this house. I pray on this resurrection day that the resurrection power of Jesus would be infused into the life of every family. I ask your Holy Spirit to bless their children, bless their marriages, bless their jobs, bless everything about them. God, bless them to walk in your righteousness, to know that you have covered their sin and kept them. And I pray, God, in Jesus' name today that we'd be reminded that the debt has been canceled, the enemy has been defeated. And because of you, Lord Jesus, and you creating space for us, we have found life more abundantly. Let them live in that abundant life this week in Jesus' name. If you receive it, say amen. God bless you. Go in the peace of the Lord. We'll see you Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Listen, I believe that God is speaking to hearts right now. If you've watched this message today and something said, brought strength to you and built you up in your spirit, gave you hope for tomorrow, I thank God that in this day and hour that we're living that there is a word from the Lord. And the Bible tells us we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We need the word of the Lord. And today this word, I pray, has produced faith in your heart. You want someone to agree with you in prayer right now. I want to take this moment to pray with everyone watching because I believe God's going to meet needs today. If you're lost and you feel like you're full of hopelessness and sin, just call on the name of the Lord. 
If you're sick in your body and you need him to touch you, you just call on the name of the Lord. If your family's falling apart and you need God to rescue your family, I want you to know there's a miracle for your family, for those of you who are watching today. Let's pray together. Father, move by your spirit right now. Someone's reaching out to you in faith, God. They need a miracle today. They need you to turn their situation around. I thank you that there's no impossibility. There's no problem too hard for you to solve. There's no mountain too big for you to move, Lord. Do it for them today. We agree together in prayer in Jesus' name that lives are being changed right now by the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. Be blessed. Check us out on kevinwallace.tv, and I'll see you next week. God bless.